0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Dead End Sports Podcast. This is a weekly sports podcast. We call it the best couple of hours of your sports week. I am your host, 12 Kyle. Once again, this is Dead End Sports. We want to thank you for listening, downloading, subscribing to our podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you do that. Uh, As I mentioned, this is a weekly sports podcast. Uh, So we're going to give you uh, our sports takes on what has happened over this past week of course i will not be doing this podcast alone uh joining me tonight is the homie ken ken what's up man
1: everything's good man we just wrapped up uh halloween if, if you guys can hear that in the background as everybody's still hanging over um drinking and eating food We grill we have salad people like it's like a community people bring all kind of food and there's almost like a party afterwards. It's kind of crazy. So I've been out there cussing out the big kids, coming through, asking for candy, telling them to skip my house next year, and that they're too big <laughs> to be trick-or-treating.
0: And and let me go on record, ladies and gentlemen, by saying that Ken did not invite us over.
1: Uh, It's for the kids. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, our boy B is not going to be with us uh, on this podcast. But uh, filling in for B, man, is, is a local... Uh, I mean, I can't even call him local. He, he is a usual suspect around here. Uh, the homie, uh, Q to six man Q. What up, man?
2: What's going on, everybody? Just, uh, Hello. feeling in hey. for Detroit player. you know? oh, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I got to do what I, I got to yeah. do. So
0: and when we go to the bullpen, yeah, gonna, he's always you know. ready. He's always you know. ready. And, uh, the homie FIFO should be joining us momentarily. As I mentioned at the top, man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, so let's start there, man. Um, uh, Q, I'll start with you. Uh, This past week, uh, as far as college football, baseball, basketball, NFL, uh, just give us some things that stood out to you over this past week.
2: Right. Um, Yeah, Giannis um, starting off. uh, I remember when you and um, FIFA were going back and forth about um, if Giannis is an MVP candidate and whatnot, and um, I think he's basically solidifying his uh, start to his campaign, mm-hmm. so I'm really looking forward to seeing how he keeps this workload up. I um, think he's averaging like thirty 30 uh, points and like damn near what nine rebounds and like what six assists. Like it's it's crazy. Um, his um his production is incredible, and just think about what he he'll, he'll be in year six or seven, and think about what he'll be when he finally has competent like a uh, competent second option, not to. You know go in on you know Brogdon or throw shade at um guys like J- J- Jabari Parker but it's kind of hard to you know compete for a championship when your second best player is Greg Monroe and you know it's not really it's not really you know the ideal situation for him but regardless of all that dude's been balling so that's what I'm looking at right right now um Ben Simmons as a Sixers fan he's exceeded my expectations. Mm. Um, Really enjoying what I'm seeing from him being able to get to exactly where he wants to on the floor is really what I was looking for. And he's kind of added on top of that with trying to mix in a little bit more of a a jumper, regardless of if the form is ugly or not, they're starting to fall. And if he's comfortable taking an ugly jump shot that just happens to fall, then he might just have one of those Sean Marion jump shots that just (laughs) work for him. So it's cool with me. Uh, Joel Embiid is healthy, so we can always pray for that. Um, And the Sixers are, I think we're 3-5 and right now, so we're doing pretty good. Really excited about that. Um, Golden State looks kind of shaky. I'm keeping an eye on that. And finally, I would probably say that my Eagles are in the running for uh, looking like one of the best teams in the NFL. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm not going to say Super Bowl confirmed, and I'm not going (laughs) to say playoffs confirmed either because we did lose Jason Peters. Uh, We did lose our middle linebacker, and we're going to get our our starting cornerback from injury. He'll he'll be back probably by the Dallas game after the bye week. So we just got to keep putting that work in, keep keeping our heads down and just going to work. And uh, if all else goes, we will be in the playoffs. But, yeah, this to keep it one game at a time, and you got to keep Carson Wentz up because Jason Peters is an all-pro left tackle, and you just can't really replace that overnight. So we'll see. And I like the acquisition that we got, but we'll talk about that later on.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Ken, what about you, man? This past week, man, what stood out uh, as far as college, uh, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL?
1: Um, yeah, man, I, I think for me, um, it's a shame that I, <laughs> that I have to, that Deshaun Watson is showing out the way he is and I can't even watch it <laughs> because of my, mm-hmm. uh, protest of the NFL, um, this, this year, um, until things resolve. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's great seeing him perform and, um, and I think he'll, he'll keep it up. We all knew that guy was special and he's just, uh, showing it to everybody, um, else out there right now so uh so yeah that was that was dope um I think uh really uh the Cavs obviously that's the story but we'll we'll see what's gonna go with that uh Q already mentioned Golden State um I like what I'm seeing from Ben Simmons um yeah it's it's uh, he he just makes the game look easy it's it's kind of crazy um but I think the one thing I do want to highlight that stood out the most was just that game between Ohio State and Penn State mm, last mm. Um, last Saturday, man, it was such a phenomenal game, man, and 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 Ohio State was was getting shellacked, like they couldn't get anything going. They were down twenty-one-three, and all of a sudden, man, like when the pressure was on, they just took off, and and they just Penn State couldn't stop them. And I thought that this was actually going to be the big win that James Franklin. Uh, needed to finally get over the hump of beating Ohio State. And just like last year, you up um, double digits in the fourth quarter, and you can't close. But I got to give all kind of credit to JT Barrett for yes. just the way he ended that game, uh, 13 for 13, 170 yards, and three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And um, and the other thing that people are not talking about or highlighting is the uh, the defensive line because they got to McCorley, And, um, on those last couple of drives and they got him off the field. I mean, they couldn't do anything to stop, uh, those guys. So they deserve a lot of, lot of, lot of, uh, praise as well because they, they basically won the game. They had, uh, a little over a minute and 30 seconds left on the field and they were only down by a point. So a field goal wins it. So without them, they would have lost that game. So Ohio State is back in the running and, um, they should definitely be one of the final four teams to, uh, play for a championship.
0: True indeed, true indeed. Good points by uh, both you and Q. Um, <clears throat> let's see, what stood out to me? Uh, well, first and foremost, college football-wise, uh, the rankings were released as far as the uh, playoff, uh, college football playoff rankings. Uh, we got Georgia coming in at number one, Alabama at two, Notre Dame at three, Clemson at four, uh, followed by Oklahoma at five, and then Ohio State at six. Um, no surprise there. I guess it's a little surprise because I did not anticipate Georgia being over Alabama because Alabama seems to have run roughshod over everybody that they've played. Uh, obviously, if they continue on this pace, Georgia and uh, Alabama will play uh, each other in mm-hmm. the SEC championship game. So... Um, Uh, That's interesting right there. And I think, uh, you know, personally, I don't trust Notre Dame. But, you know, other than the loss to Georgia, they beat everybody that you put in front of them. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. Uh, Also in college, uh, Jim McIlwain from the Florida Gators, uh, they got him up out the paint. Uh, Florida fired their head coach uh, this past weekend after they got shellacked by Georgia. Um, Not really much to say there. I hate Florida. Always have. I'm a Florida State fan, so I hate Florida. Uh, Jim McElwain, I knew Jim McIlwain was in trouble when he took that picture naked of him humping a uh dead shark uh this summer and then tried to deny and say it wasn't him. Um I don't know what kind of man <laughs> takes a picture naked of, you know, of himself naked uh humping a dead shark, but I mean maybe he's in the weird shit. I don't know. Um nonetheless, uh you know, McAlwain fell out of favor with a lot of Florida fans, obviously with the losses, but Uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, he, you know, told reporters that uh, he and his team had received death threats. And then obviously, you know, that's not something that you, you know, take lightly, especially in these days and times. And, uh, you know, the school did some investigation and come to find out there were no death threats whatsoever. So it's likely that, you know, the buyout that Jim McElwain has could be waived and and he could be fired with cause and and not get any of his money, uh, you know, that is coming to him. So, We'll see how that plays out. That may end up in court, but uh, nonetheless, Jim McElwain is up about the paint, um, to the NFL. Uh, let's see what stood out these last couple of days. Um, uh, Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell, uh, is up for a contract extension. And it seems like the one guy that is standing in his way, or it seems hell bent on standing in his way of getting that contract extension is Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys. Um, uh, You know, this may or may not have something to do with Ezekiel Elliott's uh, six-game suspension. I don't know. You know, just from outside looking in, looks like Jerry's player hating I mean, it it is. And in this most recent meeting that the NFL owners had with uh, Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell actually took the side of the NFL players. So, you know, with all of this stuff going on, and Roger Goodell has really been out here taking bullets for these owners, you know, for him to side with the players, it's rubbing owners the wrong way, and Jerry Jones seems to, you know, be in the way of Roger Goodell getting his bread. So we'll see how that one plays out. Um, what else? Uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott is suspended again, uh, or shall I say? For right now, he's, he's suspended at the time of this recording. Who knows, between now and the time that you hear this podcast, they may go to court and have some other injunction, and Zeke may be suiting up on Sunday. I don't know, but as of right now, the six-game suspension is back in effect. Um, Joe Flacco, uh, a guy that Ken really doesn't like. Um, Joe Flacco got laid out the other night by Kiko Alonso. I thought the hit was a dirty hit. I think Kiko Alonso knew damn well that Joe Flacco was sliding, and I think it was a dirty hit, and I thought he should have been thrown out of the game. Um, I think the NFL should you know, protect this play, particularly quarterbacks. I think he got to protect quarterbacks because, I mean, let's just keep it a buck, man. It's a lot of bad quarterbacks out here. So, you know, the <laughs> the ones who are halfway decent, we need to keep them in the game. Um, let's see. Uh, also, basketball-wise, in, in the NBA – uh, Q mentioned his 76ers. Can't talk about the Sixers without talking about Markel, folks. Um, the number one pick has a bum shoulder. Uh, reports were that he could not raise his arm above his head to shoot the basketball. And this is his shooting shoulder, his right shoulder. Uh, speedy recovery. He is out indefinitely. Um, so it looks like more bad luck for the Sixers as far as their number one picks are going. Uh, and on a sad note for me, man, Do Girardi. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a Yankees fan. My man, Joe Girardi, he is up out the paint. The Yankees uh, will not extend him after 10 seasons in the Bronx. Uh, personally, I like Joe. I understand why the team is going in a different direction, but I wasn't a fan of the move. Um, so, yeah, uh, Joe Girardi is leaving. And last but not least, man, um, something else that stood out to me. Uh, actually, two more things. Cues, uh, 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 Philadelphia Eagles, as he mentioned, right now, seven and one. Uh, they had, I did some research and they had the third easiest schedule for the first half of the season. Now in the second half of the season, uh, they've got games against Dallas, Denver, Seattle, and the LA Rams. So it won't be easy, but I'm um, sitting at seven one, man. I, they are the surprise team of the season for me. Um, and then basketball, uh, NBA, uh, one thing that stood out to me was two guys, actually, uh, Anthony Davis and Boogie cousins. Uh, let me drop some numbers on you guys. Cause they dropped numbers on us this past week. Um, through the season so far, and through six games this season, the two of them are combining for an average of 50, 57.7 points a game, twenty-six point eight rebounds a game, seven point seven assists a game, and four point one blocks a game. Um, and you know these two are only going to get better. And the scary part about it is they've only played twenty-three games together. So you know you combine this year with last year, it's only twenty-three games. I think you know the sky's the limit for what these two guys can do. Um, you know, obviously they have to put more pieces around them, you know, to make a, a, a serious playoff run. But uh, that duo right there, man, scary, scary with a capital S. Uh, as we move on, let's talk uh, about the World Series, which is currently going on right now at the time of this recording. Uh, the Houston Astros are up three games to two. Uh, it's currently right now in the, I think it's in the third inning uh, with the Astros up one, nothing. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, so let's start right there. Uh, I'll start with you first Q. Uh, do you think that the Dodgers can force a game seven or do you think the Astros are going to close it out in six?
2: Yeah. I'm not even going to pretend like I'm like a baseball aficionado, but I do mm-hmm. know that Clayton Kershaw is supposed to be this like, you know, godlike. like I think he's a pitcher. And, um, uh, it's not showing up, apparently <laughs> and um <laughs> like since game two I, b- I believe um he hasn't been in his uh i guess you could say in his best form, right. so it really just comes down to him and have have a manager uh game plans uh um the Astros and the dodgers were going back and forth mm-hmm. heavy last game yes uh i saw I actually Clapping saw both yeah I, man. And it's funny I feel so bad for that lady who had that ball <laughs> taken from, <laughs> taken from her um in a historic game. I think what it was the most runs I'm sorry, the most uh home runs in a, a World Series mm-hmm. game. Yep, yep. Like, and, and some dude just snatched it from hey, her. Did you hear
0: a story though? The 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 woman who had the home Okay, just to give you guys a backdrop. The uh, there was a, uh, a home run hit by the Dodgers. I can't remember which Dodger it was, but there's this thing in the uh, Astros ballpark where the fans, if someone from an opposing team hits a home run, the fans throw the ball back on the field. Well, the home run gets hit. Lady gets it and she's happy. She's got the ball. She's showing it to the crowd and she's there with her husband and her brother in law. Q. The, the guy took the guy who took the ball from her was her brother-in-law. So her brother-in-law takes snatches the ball from her and throws it back on the field. Now she's happy just to get a souvenir. She doesn't know anything about this tradition about throwing the ball back on the field. And you could see, you know, her husband trying to stop him, but he just throws the ball back on the field. Man, can you imagine being at the game with your woman and then your bro- <laughs> your brother does something like that? You know that dude. You know he heard it all the way home.
2: Dude, man, first off, you're not coming to Thanksgiving. <laughs> you're not coming to Christmas. Matter of fact, you you banned from from the house for another two years. Um, yeah, man. That's like a souvenir, that's a that's a record breaking game. And you just throw it back like for that reason, you know. But yeah, to answer your question, can can they force another game? Yeah, they can. It's just I think the Astros have all the momentum, man. Mo- mm-hmm. Momentum is so real in in, in sports, Kyle. Mm-hmm. And once you have a momentum on your side, you start hitting more. You feel more confident swinging. You feel more confident pitching. And the guys are just amped up, and they're ready to get this over with. So we see it how it is in basketball. We see it the same way that it is in the NFL. And now we're seeing it now that a team like the Astros – who I think a lot of people. I think they. I think they were the Vegas underdog, if I'm not mistaken, Kyle. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they came in. Yeah,
2: so, uh-huh. yeah, so so they came in as the underdog, and now they have the belief that they can beat this team. The Dodgers were supposed to be the prohibitive favorite of. Oh, they have Kershaw. They have all these people. They should be able to win. But now that the that now that the momentum has swung, and you win such a draining game like right, like that last game, I don't think people really realize. For well, those who've never played sports, who've, who've ever been into extra innings or been overtime, you you don't really understand how draining it is to play your butt off and then lose a game like that. You know, that's like going to triple overtime in basketball and losing. And, like, you're just crushed because you're like, we put in all this effort. That's like going into, you know, the NFL and you go into overtime and you put up all these defensive stops and then you get beat on like a 60-yard field goal. It's like, <laughs> how does that happen? You know, same thing with the extra innings last game. They kept going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until the Astros just got one and they won. So for the Dodgers, it's like, whew, now we got to refocus. Now we got to get back in, into, our, into our game plan and we got to hope that we're swinging better than we were you know, last game, which is hard because now you're like, how much better can we even be? And fact, that, that was that was peak baseball right there. Like that, like, like that was peak World Series baseball. True. And I don't know if the Dodgers have it in them, man. But to, to give you a definitive answer, Kyle, I think they do have it in them. I, I, I do. And I think that it all comes down to curse our shoulders, man. That's really what it is.
0: True, indeed. True, indeed. They got a hill throwing for him tonight going up against Verlander. And Verlander's been cold because he hadn't lost a game since he signed with the Astros. So we'll 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 keep you updated as and, and, and posted as we're uh uh recording tonight. Ken, what about you, man? Do you think uh, the Dodgers can uh, push it to seven? Uh, your boy Yasiel Puig has said he's guaranteeing a game seven. Uh, of course, they have to win tonight. Uh, how, how do you think sees this thing shaking out?
1: Well, right now they're down one to nothing, and Verlander is is locked in, so he better hit right. two home runs in order <laughs> for that to happen, um, and hope the pitch stick. Um, for me, man, like, um, you know, they lost. They if if they lose this series, I, they lost it in, in in game two. We, we're talking about terrible uh, over managing uh, by Dave Roberts. Rich Hill is, is going. And he takes him out in the fourth inning. People have been talking about that, so um, I won't go into into all of that. If you've been following the World Series, but I think that that's the one that cost him. And and you know, it's funny Cowherd is is hilarious because you know, on one hand, coming into this, he talked, he was talking about, oh, you just throw everything out the window, and it's the World Series, and no rules apply. And then today or or yesterday, he was talking about, oh, the analytics are killing the game, and you know, um when you when you got your guy going, you need to let him let him go. It's like which one is it, coward? Because the <laughs> analytics were telling Dave Roberts to make all of those moves the same thing that you were you were kinda agreeing with because the rules don't apply in the in in, in the postseason. But you know when you got the pitcher staff that the the Dodgers have and Rich Hill is pitching a a good game, you just you don't take him out. You don't take Kershaw out. Yeah, Kershaw wasn't looking the best, but you don't take him out at that moment. Like, you gotta rely on your guys. And yeah, he had a 4 nothing lead, and then they gave him a 7-4 lead, and he was in trouble. But, um, but he only needed one out. Mm-hmm. And you don't take out Kershaw, who is the Peyton Manning. I hate to even say that because I think it's so disrespectful. <laughs> but the facts are the facts he just doesn't pitch well in the postseason and I know you play a limited number of games in the postseason right. and it it can inflate your ERA but when you have a 4 nothing lead and you're Clayton Kershaw you go 9 you go 9 you strike out 10 or 11 that's what you do and he didn't and when they give you a 7-4 lead and you blow that and now by, by putting I think it was 2-1 or something like that and then they took him out with a uh, um, with one out, with him needing to get one out. Like, I would rather trust Kershaw to get that one out than Kente Medea. Um, but nevertheless, man, they kept coming back. They kept coming back. And um, and they just couldn't make it stick. And their bullpen is taxed. We're talking about you bringing Maro pitched in four of the five games or four days in four of the five games so far in the postseason, and you take a lead and you bring him back in the game. Mm -hmm. after he pitched the day before. Like, what are you doing? So Dave Roberts have cost them this World Series because the Dodgers offense have done their part. The pitching staff, at least some of the starting pitching, has played well, um, well enough to win. And then now you put yourself in a situation. So um, I think they will. I think they'll get to a Game 7 somehow. But they're going to have to get Verlander out of this game and get to that bullpen mm-hmm. if they want a chance of, of winning. And unlike Dave Roberts, A.J. Hinch is going to let Verlander go as long as he, he, he can go. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I want to see a game seven, and I think they can. But I'm with Q, man. Like, I've been watching all of these games, and this is the highest scoring offense in baseball this year. And they're playing loose. They're playing confident, and they are not scared of anybody in that, on that pitching staff. Period. At all, they feel like they can touch anybody, and they have. And so, they have right. Yeah, yeah. They, they Jansen. Yeah, throw him out there. We'll, we'll get him too. Anybody, they'll get. And um. So so. And now they have a one zero lead. So, at some point, butt's gonna get tight. Hands. Yep. Palms gonna get sweaty. And you start pressing, and I think that could work against the Dodgers um in this game if, if something don't happen. So um so we'll see, man. But I, I think they'll get it to a game seven.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think they'll get it to a game seven. I picked the Dodgers to win in game, in seven games, so obviously I'm hoping that that happens. Um, you know, but like Q mentioned, the game the other night, game five was a classic. Uh I will say this, and I've said this about you know other sports as well, but you know major league baseball man, for that game to be on a Sunday, and I understand wanting to play in prime time, but with that game being on a sunday dog you could have you could have played the game at i don't know six o'clock five o'clock um because that game started at, i I want to say at eight o'clock and Although you were up against Sunday night football and they actually did draw better ratings than Sunday night football, even though the way the ratings are down in the NFL. I don't know if that's necessarily saying much, but, um, you know, a lot of people man checked out because, I mean, bro, the game didn't go off to like 1230, you know, and it went to 10 innings and it was but it was a classic. No, no, I mean, no. Like,
1: it, Kyle, it went off at one. I, I remember when that, oh, what when was it. That, OK, it was 139.
0: You know what? I checked out at about 12, twelve twelve thirty, because I couldn't hang, man. Um, so I just I don't know, man. I don't know how you know you go about still, you know, doing that. But um, but nonetheless, man, I think the Dodgers that, like you said, they particularly in this game, they're going to have to get um, you know, uh, they're going to have to get Verlander up out of there, um, and try to get them to get to their bullpen. The thing is, is that both. Teams have exhausted their bullpen, so I don't really. So this is one of situations where they're actually going to need their starters to go as long as they can. Um, You know, I don't know where this whole and Ken, you you mentioned analytics. I don't know when this whole idea of you know pitch a few innings and then get your starter out and then get get to your middle relievers. I don't know when that became so prevalent in baseball. But you know, I mean, we come from an era where. You know, yeah, you expect that, you know, if you had a guy who could throw, you know, you want him to be on the on the bump for at least, you know, uh, seven or eight innings. If he, you know, as long as the stuff was good, you didn't there wasn't you weren't worried about pitch count or anything like that. You know, it's, it's like being in the finals and you're trying to manage LeBron's minutes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, like you don't have but so many games, you know, you can't. Sometimes you can outthink yourself. And I think I said that on last last week's podcast. Nonetheless, man, I th- I think it'll go seven. I think the Dodgers will find a way. Um, they're playing at home. Like you said, Ken, they're down one oh at this point in time at the top of the fifth inning um at the time of this recording. But I think the Dodgers will find a way um and we'll see how that plays out. Uh moving on to the NFL, uh, prison break. Um, man. <laughs> Each week we come on here, and we really don't know what we're going to talk about from week to week, but we know that there's always going to be headlines. Uh, we did not see this headline coming. Uh, as we mentioned last week, we knew that there was a meeting between owners and some of the NFL execs. Um, and during that meeting, uh, Texans, Houston Texans owner uh, Robert, or what do they call him, Bob McNair, uh, he made a comment. He said, "We can't, he said, quote, we can't let the inmates run the prison. Um, so to hear that come out of a billionaire's mouth about, you know, inmates running a prison. You know, at first, I guess the first thing I heard was I thought of the idiom, quote, you know, in, you don't let the inmates run the asylum. But he used the word prison. So um, <laughs> let's start right there, man. Uh, what were your thoughts on Bob McNair's comments?
1: I don't know, man. I, I think it's complicated. I don't want to bash the guy for, um, saying something that he probably didn't make <coughs> it for it to come across the way that it did. But I think with the climate that we're in, um, we know about blacks prisons, um, the private prisons, the disproportionate number of pe- black people in jail, um, Sometimes your subconscious can speak for you Mm -hmm. and to hear him say that that was kind of the first thing that came to my mind, whether or not that was his intent. And I think intent matters, but with everything that's going on with him donating to the Trump campaign, all this stuff coming out to him, I mean, you have to look at him a little cross and you have to wonder like, what did he really mean? by that comment other than I'm just going to use a phrase like we need to get this thing under control Um, one of the things that bothers me about that is just the way that Jerry Jones and 16 other NFL owners are basically holding Goodell's job um, in their hand because he can't control the inmates Mm -hmm. so if you really stop to think about that for a minute, like it's almost like a it's almost like a riot in, in all honesty. Because that's what they're 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 essentially doing. They're 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 standing up against their oppressors for something other than what this thing originally started out, number one, that's that's bad enough. Um and and, and, and number two, um it, it it doesn't feel like that that partnership that the NBA NBA has, and when you have somebody say something like this, and we know it's old white money, and majority majority of white I mean black players on the field, it kind of feels that way. So it shows that they don't respect you. Run, nigga, run, and <laughs> that's kind of the feeling that we got. So you know. Jerry Jones is like, you can't get these Negroes under control. And mm-hmm. we need somebody in here that can get these Negroes under control. After he sat and kneeled with them um, right. in protest, but not in protest of, um, of you know, uh, in- inequality. It was in protest of Trump. And then Trump got on the phone with him. And then all of a sudden he changed his position. And now he's trying to get, you know, Goodell out of a of, uh, league office, man. So I think it's a problem. And I'm I hope this thing gets resolved uh real quick, but um I'm I'm proud of the NFL players for taking a stand and doing what they feel is right and hopefully something uh you know good can come out of this.
0: Q, what about you, man? Uh your your thoughts on the, the comments from uh Bob McNair saying that uh the can't let the inmates run the prison.
2: <laughs> yeah man. Um Yeah, I think it was pretty racist, man. Um, But I need to put a caveat on this. I think there's two different types of um, things that we can dissect from this one comment. And, um, you know, Jerry Jones came out in his defense and said, oh, Bob's comments weren't about his players. As if that makes it any better. uh, (laughs) Right,
0: right, right. The rest of the league is prison.
2: Yeah. And, but, you know, I think that really takes into account, man, just like where we, I'm trying to figure out the way to say this. It brings to light an issue within the sports industry that many people do not want to discuss. And that is the fact that as a athlete, your labor, your hard work is exploited and you are treated as if it is a privilege for you to make majority all white men money when the fact of the matter is, is that your labor is not even compensated for what it's truly worth. You're only worth what the market is telling you and what these owners have come together to bargain for and say, oh, this is what a great quarterback's worth. This is what a great you know, point guards were. This is what a great pitcher is. Were even, even, even though that the cap is now is non-existent in baseball. You kind of see where I'm going, but I'll stick more with the majority of black sports. So basketball and, and in this case, football. So Bobby Nair's remarks. He's talking about inmates in in the prison. Call it Freudian, call it whatever you want to. You know, a subconscious. Call it whatever you want. That's what that man's true heart is. Um, the whole donating to Trump, the whole kneeling with your players, all that stuff can, um, specifically about the whole kneeling thing, that was a performative act. That was something to just look good for the cameras. That was something to get good PR for your team. But it's those things that you do behind closed doors that reveal who you are as a person. And it's those things that when you have a microphone in, in front of you, and it's what you say unfiltered that reflects on you as a person. Mm-hmm. So it's it is racist to say that the uh, mm-hmm. inmates are running the prison. Not just because you know he feels as he he can disagree with Colin Kaepernick. You, you you can disagree all you want, but the moment that you feel as though that you put a connotation on players as prisoners, I think you're showing your showing your your ass, man, because. Well, what does that mean? Can we just break that down for two quick seconds? I'm not going to be long.
0: No, go when ahead, you call go ahead. someone
2: when When you call someone a prisoner, you're calling them someone who is completely dehumanized, somebody who's been robbed of all human agency, someone who is supposed to live, breathe, eat shit, and sleep by the rules of the prison, of the walls that you are confined to. So in over 60% black league, you're calling, you know, majority of black league prisoners for simply speaking out against police officers, shooting unarmed black folks and unarmed people of color also. And you're calling them prisoners for silently protesting against that, that, that analogy brings to light something that we just don't talk about, man. And that's the fact that these players are treated as if it's, You know, a privilege for them to come in this league, get CTE, and make billions of dollars for this majority white male ownership. When the fact of the matter is, is that these men have worked their asses off from the time that they were boys. They've worked hard. They've sacrificed. Their families have sacrificed. Just for them to get to a finite amount of, you know, just just to get to a league in which a finite amount of other men have also worked just as hard. And it's something that is a theme of ownership for some reason that goes on throughout sports. And there's a book that I recommend everyone read. It's called $40 million slaves. True indeed. Where it's talking about how there's a lot of plantation politics that transferred over into the uh, sports industry and the way that 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 they run. Just think about it, man. You got you know majority black men on a, on a field. You and you got ownership. Just like think about the optics of that. Think about the just the wording behind that of how oh this man is an owner of the team. The same way that back in the days when you owned a plantation, you thought that you owned all the property that worked for the plantation. Well, there are some men out out there like Mister Bob McNair who make comments like the prisoner's comment that has the same type of energy behind it as a man who thinks that the people who work for your team do that, that you can control their every action, even when it's within the complete rules of the NFL and within the law of the United States. So I do think this comment was racist, whether you want to say it was subconscious, conscious or whatever. I do think Bob McNair's heart was shown, and I'm very proud of DeAndre Hopkins for walking out of practice. I'm very proud of the guys who took a stand, and I really hope that this that this dialogue can move forward to where action is starting to be put onto the ground, where people really stop putting up with the BS coming from their ownership and actually demanding what they want. Uh, like you said, Kyle, we don't see this a lot in the NBA because. They bargain for what they deserve, uh, for what they feel that they de- deserve as players, and even then, they're still not getting half of you know what the ownership is. So you got guys like KD who are giving money to keep a team together when you know you that like when you can go into the luxury tax to pay him. You got guys like Odell Beckham who want to be the highest paid player in the league, but the ownership and the uh, you know the collective bargaining agreement. Said that wide receivers are only supposed to make a certain amount. I think it's time that when 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 the next CBA comes up, I think these issues are going to be a lot a lot more pressing. I think we're going to see a possible lockout because oh, I, players. I th- I, th- I think players are tired of being looked at as you know fitting into this box of oh you're a wide receiver so you're only supposed to make the, this much. You're a running back so most, you're supposed to make this much. Nah, if you're Odell Beckham that owner should be signing you a blank check. If you're DeAndre Hopkins and you've had trash quarterbacks up until this very year, you should be getting a, a blank check. So I do think that Bob Mc, Mc, McNair's comments is going to be the first domino in, in a complete uh, avalanche of dominoes to, to fall where we, where the end result will be a lockout where players will want their salaries up a lot more, especially after seeing what the NBA salaries went up to the NFL players are getting robbed and they're tired of being treated like prisoners in these terrible contracts, these terrible rookie contracts. They want their money and they deserve it. So I'm hundred percent in support with all the guys who, who knelt uh, in protest to their owner. And I hope they keep sticking it to him, man, because you got to change your mindset in 2017, especially in this climate.
0: Yeah. I think first and foremost, you and Cam made some great points. Um, I think, but when I heard Bob McNair's comment, um, the first thing that came to mind was much like a lot of stuff that I hear or read or see on a day-to-day basis, particularly from (laughs) this, in this political climate, in this administration that we're stuck in right now, uh, nothing surprises me. Uh, so no, I wasn't surprised. I don't know Bob McNair from, you know, Joe blow down the street. Um, I will say this much. When I heard it, I thought, OK, well, maybe that was a Freudian slip because I said I've always heard the idiom. You know, you can't let inmates run the asylum. Um, but then when I took it to, you know, what he actually said, uh, his comment kind of struck me as, well, you know, he really is ignorant. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And I'm not above calling, even though I don't know Bob McNair, I can, I feel very just in calling him ignorant. Uh, That was, and and what made it worse was, you know, his explanation of it, you know, was like, well, I didn't mean to say that, but what I was trying to say was, no, that's not what you were trying to say, dog. You said what you, you said what you meant and you meant what you said, you know, so I, much like Richard, uh, Richard, um, Richard Sherman, I, I, I am cool with people who let me know who they are and where they stand. I I would I respect you more if you let me know that you feel that way about me as opposed to you being around me, having me around and, you know, you disguising your disgust or your hate for me or what have you. Um, But this just, you know, echoes his comments actually reflect the disconnect between these owners and these players, you know, because. They don't know why the players are taking a knee. They don't understand why the players are doing what they do. And I understand, no, I don't I'm not expecting management to be, you know, buddy buddy and friend, and owners to be friendly with the players. That's not the nature of their business. At the same time, Bob McNair, when you make that kind of comment, then I think about I think about the the franchise quarterback from the Houston Texans, right? Um Deshaun Watson, and as many of you know, Houston suffered a you know hurricane. People were displaced. Um, Deshaun Watson gave his first game check to employees, uh, and they showed the video of it. You know, like some cafeteria workers. He gave his first game check to them. You know, m- many of these people who were displaced. You know, so he took his first game check. I, I don't know how much it was, but. He gave that to some ladies who worked in a cafeteria, brown women who looked just what well, they didn't look just like him. They looked to be, you know, Hispanic, but nonetheless, brown people. A, a a black man, you know. So my question is to Bob McNair: Is this what you think of Deshaun Watson? Do you think of him as a prisoner? Is he a prisoner that shouldn't run the prison? Do you think of J.J. Watt, even though J.J. Watt is white? You know, do you think of him? J.J. Watt went took to Twitter. To raise two hundred, his goal was to raise two hundred thousand for the people who were displaced in his city. He ended up raising thirty-seven million dollars. Do you think JJ Watt is a prisoner? And so I think it goes. It it makes it worse when you when the majority of your team is black. But you know it makes it worse because you 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 said the players. And again, I understand that there's a disconnect between the ownership. And the players, but there shouldn't be this big a disconnect. And it should offend white players, and it looks like it did. And it definitely should offend the black players because you don't want to associate the word prison and players. Um, particularly when your players, the majority of your players are black. Um, so no, I wasn't I wasn't surprised at all. Um, I would have been cool with Bob McNair say, so you know what, man, I messed up. I'm sorry, I misspoke. You know, if he was honest about what it was he said, uh, if he said, well, look, you know, this me, this just shows me that I need to get to know my players better. You know, all it is. Those are just the checks that he cuts. He doesn't know the second string cornerback on his team. He doesn't. He may know him by name. He may know him by face. But Q and, and Ken, I think the thing that has always kind of struck me is the the relationship between ownership and the players and I, I remember just a few weeks ago as we saw golden and i'm, I'm gonna flip the basketball real quick i remember watching golden state win their rings and what i paid attention to particularly was as the owner of the golden state warriors were was hang, handing out the rings i wanted to see the kind of interaction he had with the players you know particularly his stars you know um Was he going to hug Draymond? Was he going to dap up Steph Curry? Was he going to, you know, give a long embrace to Steve Kerr and KD? And he did. You know, so that kind of tells me, I could kind of tell by the interactions is that, you know, he has a different kind of relationship. And I understand basketball is a little bit different. But I think the thing is, is that in basketball, to some degree, the owners feel like the players are partners. That's not the case in the NFL. The NFL, and, and I'll take it back to 1980, excuse me, yeah, 1987. Tech Schramm, I think Tech Schramm was the GM of the Cowboys at the time. The NFL was going through a lockout, a strike, if you will. And he told the players, hey, you're, we're, we're the, well, I, I can't remember, the, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the quote here. He said that you we are the, the, the herders and you're the cattle. And we can always get more cattle. So, That mentality still reigns to this day. And I think part of the reason why you see some of these owners not really understanding is because of these kind of comments, because there's a huge disconnect. In a conventional world, in a a great world, these kind of comments would kind of make these owners kind of feel like, okay, maybe we should get to know our players a little bit better. Maybe we need to come to the table. But all they see is dollar signs and all they see is checks. And they're, they're about cashing the checks and they're about the bottom line of their, their business. And I understand it and I get it. And I'm not saying that you have to be buddy and friends with the, with your employees because they are the employers and they're the employees. But at the end of the day, stuff like this doesn't fly. And I agree with you, uh, Q, it's going to be, when it comes time, I am really going to see far beyond players taking a knee. I'm really going to see what this NFLP is made of because they have a laundry list of stuff that they can bring to the table as far as they want in this next CBA. And um, it's time that you ask for it and demand it. And, you know, are you willing to sit out for it? And how long are you willing to sit out for it? Because without no players, there's no game. You know, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, so the next question I have for you guys, and Q, I'll start first with you. Uh, what, did, what did you think of the Texans, the the players' response to, you know, with with, with – I think it was all but ten players took a knee.
2: Yeah, it was um, a fantastic response. Because um, I still, I still, still have those feelings that the knee kind of has lost meaning. But um, I do like this uh, this one in particular, simply just because standing up against oppressive forces and standing up against bigoted forces, um, I think it's necessary. I think it's necessary to send a message that you don't deserve our respect for what you just said. And while we can have a larger conversation at another time about NFL players and kneeling and what it really, really means to each and every one of them, I think it's just nice to have a symbol of solidarity between the uh, players and the solidarity movement that they put on, uh, the show of uh, solidarity that, that they put on, uh, on Sunday, I think it was a fantastic uh, move to make. Uh, I don't think there's anything else that they p- could have done, mm-hmm. but sort of, sort of not play. But I think that in this case, not playing would have been almost kind of def- like self defeating, you know, where it would have been like, "Ah, well, we're just going to take our ball home and go. When instead, I feel like the knee in this situation was kind of warranted because it's more Mm. of like a show of, well, you were the one to come out and try to kneel with us when Trump said something about the league. Now we're kneeling against you. So it's kind of like putting both Trump and McNair in that same box of Mm. y'all both, we don't F with either of y'all. And I kind of like that, just based off the fact that DeAndre Hopkins he 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 left practice. I love that. So he, yeah. So like he knows that. Look, if you all <laughs> who continue to disrespect us, continue to use bigoted you know analogies and continue to demean us players like we're only dumb athletes who don't have minds and don't have uh you know intelligent things to bring to this world and the and the and the discourse surrounding our political climate, then we're gonna show out and we're gonna be against you. And it's gonna be funny when um when a lot of up for how many guys stay? How many right. guys try to, you know, get all the money that they can. What, or how lead? many guys yeah, and how many guys just flat out say, you know what? F this team, I'm out. And it's not because of my teammates, it's because it's owner. And you have to start punishing guys like 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 this, man. As a player, yes, you're, yes your power in terms of getting a contract from the owner might be very, very limited. But your power to say, F this, I'm uprooting either just myself or I'm uprooting my family. And I'm, we're going to go to, you know, blank city here because I don't mess with the ownership that sends a message and guys talk players talk Mm -hmm. so he needs to know that this type of you know analogy and this type of verbiage is unacceptable in 2017 and this is something that trump would say this is something that like you would hear from you know uh you know an alt-right member man like this is this is unacceptable so to treat him like that by taking the knee by walking out of practice. This is just a sorry. What well, so what happens when DeAndre Hopkins is up for a contract? Is he is he gonna stay? What happens in twenty twenty when it's time? I'm talking, what happens in twenty nineteen when Trump is ready to either put his bid in again for um, a second term? And does Bob McNair donate again? And do the owners and are the owners cognizant of that? Do they care about that? Mm-hmm. And when and when free agents come in for meetings and when it's time for big names to take meetings with the Texans, what, do, what are the guys saying to that guy? Don't come here. This guy's a bigot. Don't don't come here. As soon as, as, soon as my contract's up, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I wish they would trade me right now. Mm-hmm. Don't come here. That's what guys will say. Players talk, and so does the money. But especially guys talk to each other because – now that we know that your heart is in that place, how many guys are going to want to say, I, w- I want to go play for that owner and right. that ownership? Not many people will. People love Jerry Jones because he's always down on the field and he's always, you know, yucking it up with, with his guys. And he seems like a player's owner. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, a, a player's owner. But guys like Bob McNair who, who just sit in the skybox and look down on you as quote unquote prisoners. That has consequences and mm-hmm. like I said in my last uh, analysis of what I think about the comments, this is just a start for him and for a lot of owners because next there's going to be some real questions coming out very very soon about guys who all donated to Trump. I promise you that's, that's going to be the next thing because this is a, this is just the beginning of of a, of a tidal wave. That starting out is a little bit of a ripple in the ocean. But I'm telling you, once it hits its uh, its apex, man, we're going to be talking about a lot of different owners. And a lot of guys, as soon as that new CBA comes up, are going to be demanding that either Goodell has a less power, the owners pay up more. It's mm-hmm. going to be fun. It's going to be so fun to see. And I can't wait for these guys to get what they deserve, man, because they don't deserve to put up with this stuff from these owners who continuously think that they're just you know dumb athletes. They have more to say, they have more to say, they have more to offer than just playing on a, on a field. And while they're on the field, they deserve to be compensated and be respected as men, not freaking prisoners. So shout out to the Texans, shout out to DeAndre Hopkins for showing us a show of solidarity on on Sunday. That's a very hard thing to do. And to the 10 people who didn't stand, just know that people are probably going to look look at you a little weird and some of your teammates they probably not gonna want to hang out with you after uh, the season's over. So just know that you made your bed there, and that's fine. You know, at least show us who you are.
0: Well, you know what the 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 thing I, that I found impressive too, even the even the the ones that stood, uh, like they put a hand on a, a teammate that was kneeling. So it still to me showed a, a, a symbol of solidarity. I, I didn't that's have fair. a problem. I didn't have a problem with the guys that were standing. Um, one thing I will say is to people who, to the fans who were like, well, you know, they should just, I wouldn't play for an owner like that. And and I get it. I I understand. And I tweeted this out. I understand why people would say that and and no, nobody would want, but you have to kind of, in a, in a practical sense, you have to put yourself in their shoes. And that's hard to do because think about it like this, Q, you work for someone Ken works for someone. B and FIFO. Myself, we all work for a company or whomever. Uh, many of you who are listening work for someone. Uh, there, put yourself in, a sho- in your shoes. Tomorrow you go to work, right, and you find out that your the CEO of your company feels the same way that Bob McNair feels. Here's the thing, Q. You can go get another job. I can go get another job now me and you probably and Ken probably won't quit our jobs tomorrow, right? (laughs) Uh Because you don't quit a job without having one lined up. But let's say it takes us a month to find another. We'll find another job. DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Deshaun Watson, JJ Watt, whomever, they can't quit that job tomorrow, right? Even though they don't want to be there, they got to be there. Again, they're under contract. It's not that simple. So, you know, and think about it like this. At our companies that we work for, we don't know that the owner... How many times have you sat down and, and talked with the... I've, I've talked with the CEO of my company. I spoke to him once. I know what he looks like, but I mean, literally, I, I could pass him in the mall tomorrow and he and he wouldn't know me from can of paint. You know, and I can assume that he may have donated to Trump's campaign. I can assume that he feels the same way that Bob McNair feels. You know, but again, I don't have I'm the the, I think we we do ourselves a disservice when we're comparing ourselves to these professional athletes saying, well, I would just quit the job because that's not practical. Because here's the thing. We're not revenue generators at our job. Many I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of the people who are listening to this podcast are not revenue generators at your job. The professional athlete is a is a revenue generator. They're the reason why you're going to spend four hundred dollars on a ticket. You're going to spend another $200 at concessions, another $50 in parking just to see them work and perform. So you can't really compare your situation to theirs. So to the Houston Texans players, I agree with you a thousand percent, Q. All they could have done was, you know, uh, take a knee. Not playing wasn't going to solve anything. Um, I'm interested to see what happens come free agency. And Q, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. When they're pending free agents, you know, how how can you woo in pending free agents? You know, we saw this this whole ownership disconnect play out just not that long ago in the NBA with LeBron and Dan Gilbert. And we were all very surprised to see LeBron go back to Cleveland. But LeBron is the anomaly. LeBron is still, LeBron after this season, if he chooses to go somewhere else, he can. And he has earned that right. But again, you're talking about a multimillionaire in LeBron. And a billionaire in Dan Gilbert, LeBron is extremely rich. <laughs> Dan Gilbert, extremely wealthy. There's a difference. So I want people to li- who are listening to understand it's not as simple as you make it sound. If you say, "Well, I would just quit my job," no, you're not quitting your job because guess what? The car note, the truck note, you know, all of that's that that note is still due each month, and we worked we. Obviously, we work to earn a living, but we also work and we're paying bills. So it's not as simple as people make it sound. So I want the fans listening, particularly the ones listening to this podcast, understand that nah, it's you can't tell the Texans players to just quit their job. It's not that simple. They're in contract. And no, they may not. Nah, I, I feel for those guys because they came together and they played a hell of a game on Sunday and a game that they you know really could have won. And so, you know, now they have to, you know, kind of still deal with, you know, that organization and deal with, you know, the owner indirectly. But we'll see how it plays out, man. But I, I give them credit. I give them all the credit in the world because, you know, they had a lot going on their plate. And, you know, for them to show up and play as well as they did in Seattle, I think, is a testament to the type of players that they have. Um, Kim, what about you, man? Um, your, your thoughts on how the Texans players uh, responded?
1: I don't know, man. It, it, it's it's conflicting. Like, yeah, it just I, I just slipped, and I mm-hmm. just said something that was racist. I didn't really mean it, right? Um, how far do you want to go when somebody just accidentally says something? So I like what DeAndre Hopkins did. I think that was really an appropriate response. Like, if all of the black players or a majority of the black players just got up and left that day because of what they heard. Cool, that would have been great because that was before he had a chance to meet with them. That was you hearing the comment, you're reacting emotionally, you're leaving. That's a that's a a good form of 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 protest. Like you're not agreeing with the comments that, that were said. Now he met with you and then you say, Okay, well, we'll just take a knee before the game. Well, he's already met with you. He's already explained what happened. You've already talked to him. So what are you really accomplishing? At, you know, by by kneeling uh, outside of solidarity, right? So, I don't know, man. Like, I, 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 I get it. I think it's just – I understand, but I think at some point somebody's going to have to – no, I won't say that because I don't want to put that on there because I think you make a valid point, Kyle, where you're saying that we, we we're not going to quit. But I think the other thing when I look at that is that one of the things that we look at when we look at players like uh, the NFL players and stuff like that or NBA players is that they're in a position to do more than we can because they're revenue generators, like you said. So a player like DeAndre Hopkins matters, a player like LeBron matters. Because without them, that ship don't sail. Without the, the Bradys or the Russell Wilsons or the Aaron Rodgers, what are you going to do? So the NFL requires and need them in order to make a profit. The sport will continue to go on. They'll just replace them, but it won't be the same. We, on the other hand, we don't really have that position of, Semi authority in, in, in our jobs because we're employees at will. Um, some of us have contracts, but you kind of get what I'm saying. So that's why we look at them and be like, you guys can do what we can't do. Then um, that's why we need you guys to kind of speak out. And we're seeing it having some level of impact in terms of conversation. Um, but on one hand, while I, I don't think not playing would have accomplished anything, I think it would have also sent a real strong message to the NFL and the NFL owners that we are serious. We're, we're tired of you guys looking down on us the way you are. We're tired of you guys looking at us as, as prisoners. You know, this is just something you said in a meeting. I don't know what you're saying in private and we need some level of respect because right now we're just, we're cattle. We're cattle, mm. and 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 you're sending us onto the you're sending us out for, for slaughter. CTE, we get concussions. Zach Miller almost lost <laughs> right. his, his his whole leg. His leg turned around. He almost Boy, lost crazy. his leg. Um, players are damn near losing. You know, feeling in their lower limbs like it's serious. It's a battlefield, and you call us. Prisoners,
2: mm-hmm. so
1: while yeah, that's why I'm kind of conflicted on what on, on their response. I think um and, and I think that at the end of the day they handled it the way they needed to handle it, and um and they do have a job to do, and I think they made a stand. They met with them. They let everybody know where they feel, um you know, and they 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 knelt, and here we are. We're 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 back at it <laughs> another week. So. Yeah, and I think
0: ultimately they're they're playing for each other in the room. Everybody's, you know, the guys on the team are playing for each other. They're not, you know, they play for the Texans, but they're not playing for, um, McNair. Uh, and and I I thought it was pretty cool for uh, you know, head the head coach Bill O'Brien to get behind his players, and he he said he was standing standing with them, um, firmly. So you know, I think that you know it it was kind of like a us against ownership type mentality, and I think that's you know if, if that's what it's going to be to get them to play better and to play like how they played. I think that's good. Um, and again, it's going to, it's, it's that those comments are going to go a long way and not just the comments, but what happens, what Bob McNair does or doesn't do what he says or doesn't say going forward uh, as to whether or not they will be able to bring in other players as well. Um, now, speaking of the meeting that they had, there's been rumors circulating uh, that Colin Kaepernick uh, would be invited to the Players Coalition meeting with the owners. Uh, in fact, there was supposed to be a meeting uh, this on yesterday, and matter of fact, but the meeting was canceled. Uh, you know, and I think some of the fallout after the uh, comments that were made by McNair. Um, so now here's the thing: we've got rumors going around. The owners have said from the beginning that Colin Kaepernick is more than welcome to attend the meeting. As we all know, Colin Kaepernick has filed a grievance against the NFL owners for collusion. Um, not a lawsuit, but a grievance, um, which has yet to be heard in court. Uh, the NFL PA, the, the only thing the owner said was, Hey, look, Colin is more than he's more than capable of coming to the meetings. He just has to be invited by the players. Uh, According to the players, they invited Colin Kaepernick, but Colin Kaepernick's representatives say that they have yet to receive a formal invitation from the NFLPA. Uh, so there's a lot of bantering going back and forth. It's it seems, and Colin's camp has been very steadfast in saying that, look, Colin ha- Colin is more than willing to come, but he has not been invited by the players. And all the owners said, like, look, hey, we ain't in it. He's more than welcome to come. You just have to invite him, and. According to them, there's been no invitation. So, Ken, if and when there is another meeting, should he go? Why or
1: why not? Yeah, he should go. I mean, it started with him. And he should have been at the first one. And, you know, this this unrest that's going on in the NFL, they're all following, um, I won't say following, that's not 100% true, but... You know he he's he's the origin of it, the genesis, and it would be great for him to be there to speak to the issues directly to the issues that they're they're protesting for. Not the national anthem, not any of their other stuff, but to the issues. And I think the players would like for him to be there so they can hear directly from him on this. You know, Baldwin and Bennett uh have done a, a Baldwin and is it Bennett or is it Reed? Uh I think it may be Reed. Um they've done a great job of of, of carrying this on um in his in his absence and I think that they'll continue to do a, a great job, but you still need him because mm-hmm. You know, he was the one that, that set this whole thing off. And um I just think it's important to hear from the guy um that kind of that, – that kicked this thing off, man, because Colin has been quiet for a long time. And on one hand, I think that's great because they don't know what you're thinking. You're not playing your car, and, and you're leaving them guessing. And to some people, that puts them, you know – uh at a state of uneasiness, like they don't know what's going on. What are you thinking? What are you like? What are you, what are you plotting? And um, while that's great, I also think that they're going to need, they'll need not necessarily his leadership, but at least some form of, 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 of guidance. And I think it's important for the NFL owners to hear from him because he has been shut out. And I think it'll be, um it'll be dope if he actually got a chance to get up and, and go. So, I hope he does. I think it would be a good sign for the NFL to definitely do that, especially with this grievance that's coming. And uh more than likely I think he'll he'll end up being there.
0: What about you, Q? Uh if and when there is another meeting, do you think that Colin Kaepernick should be there? And why?
1: Why uh, or why
2: not? Yeah. I do. I do think that he should be there just simply just because he is basically just like Ken said, you know, he did a great job of explaining it. He's the genesis of the entire uh, I guess you could say I guess you could say social awakening going out throughout the NFL and uh, just the amount of activism going on now. He's inspired a lot of it, and the whole knee thing started with him. So if you're going to have players taking knees, then you need to have the guy who started the whole knee thing. Um, Don't really have much other other to say than that, but – I guess I, I could supplement that a little bit more with the fact that uh, I believe Colin should be at these meetings simply just because I believe he he can offer a perspective and perhaps some of these owners might see where his heart is and they can make a decision off of okay I see where he's talking about Let, let's like sign him either next year or whatever let's invite him to camp next next off season because um, I know Colin is not in the business, uh, according to Shannon Sharp, um, Colin is not in the business of begging for a job because he knows that he's done nothing to beg for, which he's 100% accurate with. But I do think that it could help him a little bit to uh, reissue a statement about um, how he feels about the racial climate in the NFL, going to all those meetings, meeting with the NFLPA, talking to owners in the meetings. That stuff can help. Um, he doesn 't have to beg he can literally just ex- explain his, his position, explain his where his politics are at, reclarify what he means and what the knee means to him, and um, you can just speak truth to power instead of having to you know get on your knees for your job. You can still be a man um, I think that 's Colin 's biggest um, reservation is he doesn 't want to come across as if he 's going to grovel. For a position on a football team, when when there's so many bad quarterbacks, huh. he's you know slamming get into that. But um, yeah, man, he should definitely go to the meetings uh, if he's invited. Um, I'm, I'm I'm inclined to believe Colin over the owner. So if Colin says that he hasn't been invited, then he hasn't. Um, this is going to be very interesting to see because if he goes to these meetings the reception that he gets from the players and the response that he gets from the owners is really going to be make or break from may make or break for his entire NFL career. Cause if he goes up in these meetings and says something and the owner's like, uh, we don't want this distraction in their minds is a distraction. Not to me. Um, then I think he's done. But if he goes in there and he 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 just gets that one ear from one of these owners and they're just like, okay, then I think that we might be able to see Colin Kaepernick on an on a NFL uh, field again. But that's r- remained to be seen, man.
0: I, I'm going to be the, con- the, the contrarian on this one, man. I don't think he should go. And the reason why I don't think he should go, now, Q, you and Ken made some great points. I think because I th- I think the owners have made it up in their minds that they're not going to sign this guy. There's nothing. I mean, he could and I've heard, you know, some of the quote unquote experts say that, you know, well, we just want to hear from Colin. We want to hear where where his head is. I mean, bro, you didn't have nobody had to hear from Jay Cutler to see where his head was. Miami made a phone call to his agent. Yo, you want to bring him to camp? Yeah. We will come to camp. How much you want? We want ten million. Okay, bet. Let's make it happen. Be there be, be at camp at you know tomorrow at five. It was just like that. It wasn't no, we need to have a press conference. I don't here's what I'm fearful of, Q and, and Ken. I think if they bring Colin to the meeting, it's just gonna be a photo op. You know, the same way your man's up in the White House was having people come to his building.
2: <laughs> like Steve Harvey.
0: Yeah, like Steve Harvey and Jim Brown and Ray Lewis. All, I mean, that's all that was. And that's what I'm thinking this is gonna be. You know what it's gonna be? Well, you know, what they can end up in what they will end up saying at the end of the day is, hey, well, we we did invite him to the meeting. So what? You don't need to have a meeting with Colin Kaepernick to see where he stands. His his position hasn't changed. You know, he's and people you know, you keep hearing what well, he's going to, he might be a distraction. He's not a distraction. You have players on your team that are kneeling. Now I still don't understand how it is. We're in what week eight, week nine, something like that. He doesn't have a job. And he did, he did that for, he, he kneeled last year and we have players that kneel every Sunday and they still have their jobs. So you can't tell me that he's not being blackballed. It's clear as day. And, for them to give him a job at this point would be an an admission that they blackballed him. They were going to they were they are determined to send a message and that's what they're sent. that's what they're doing. I would say Colin, I would tell Colin Kaepernick if he was listening to this podcast, and I'm sure he is, that he should go if I felt like it was going to help him. I don't think it's going to help him. It's gonna help the NFL because from a PR perspective, they'll say, well hey, we, we invited him, we had talks. I mean, what what can what can he say to get himself a job? Nothing. Not when you are the Baltimore Ravens and you hiring guys that played in the in the World League. Come on, man. It's 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 a dog and pony show, and that's what. And and the sad part about it is, that's what people want to see. They they want to the NFL wants to win the PR game. If if for you fans listening, if you haven't figured that out by now, that's all the NFL wants to do. They want to win the PR game. They they ever since they've been taking these L since like the Ray Rice case and everything like that, they want to look good PR wise. And it looks great if Colin Kaepernick shows up and he's, you know, he got the afro going and he shows up in a dashiki and, you know, he's at this meeting and he's talking and he takes a couple of pictures with Jerry Jones and everything. And everybody sings Kumbaya and they the Migos in the background. And, you know, come on, man, it's, it's a waste of time. If I felt if I and and again, if I'm Colin's agent, I'm not I'm not taking a meeting with y'all unless you can tell me unless you're going to tell me why I don't have a job. No, I'm not going. You know, I mean, my agent could go, I guess. But what is it? What is it? comp? What what is it going to accomplish? You know, are you going to do everything that you said that you were going to do? You know, I understand that they're going some of the owners are talking about, you know, kind of meeting the players halfway and hearing some of their grievances as far as, you know, what they want as far as social injustice and all that stuff like that. These players also want to see Colin Kaepernick back in the league. You've had guys from Tom Brady to Aaron Rodgers to Cam Newton say that he should be in the league. What more do you want? So
1: well, I, uh, I'm the, not the, me, the media. Go isn't, ahead, Cam. I'm sorry. The meeting isn't for him to get a job though, is it? I think it was about the issues, um, the reasons why they're protesting, right?
0: You know what, man? At this point, Ken, I think sometimes a lot of that stuff gets turned around and twisted to the point where we have players that are taking a knee that if you ask them, they can't eloquently state why they're taking a knee. You know, and they, and they yeah, they, I think to a man, a lot of them want to see Colin back in the league, but, you know, they're not going to sacrifice their employment to get Colin back in the that's league. That's
2: a good point, Kyle. You know, that's that's a really good, good point, man. And that's what I was saying a couple of weeks ago when y'all had me on that, um, a lot of the knees be just become meaningless to a lot of these guys. And I think a lot of them, a lot of it is cowardly, in my opinion. Um, I know I'm, I'm the type of person who wouldn't ask something of someone I wouldn't be able to do myself. And I just think about all these, uh, the, the comment that you just made, it makes so much sense because it's like these guys are just taking knees now for Anything under the sun, they're taking knees because they baby mama asked for more. You know, child mm-hmm. support. You know, it's like it's just like, dude, like what? What else do you like? Do you understand what the whole thing started from? Right. People are taking knees because of yada yada, but instead they're missing the the, the entire point. And I think it makes the movement look less legitimate when you're taking knees because you're personally offended by. The president calling out the entire league, and where were you when Colin Kaepernick was putting his neck on the line for?
0: You you know know what it is, Q. Remember when? And I had to cut you off. Remember when it was Black Lives Matter? Then it was Blue Lives Matter. Then it was All Lives Matter. Then it was, you know, uh, Super Friends Lives Matter. I mean, like, you know, rappers Lives Matter. Come on, man, Mm -hmm. y'all killing me. So you know, (laughs) we'll see how it goes, man. But again, I and and I'm not. I totally understand and get what you and Ken are saying. I, I don't necessarily disagree. I'm just saying that for me, I, I don't want it to be a dog and pony show. And I've seen enough right. dog and pony shows to realize that, you know, again, the NFL, they want to win the PR game. They they don't care about nothing else but winning the PR game. And, you know, they, they would trot Colin out. And maybe that's why they, maybe that's why you haven't heard from Colin, because with him not saying anything, his words can't get misconstrued. You know, we had we heard reports a couple of weeks ago that, you know, that he was not going to take a knee if he was signed. Well, hell, he hadn't gotten signed, so I don't know where that came from. I think Jason Alcindor from the NFL Network was just making up stuff. So I don't know, yeah. man. And and that's and unfortunately, that's what happens when you're not talking. Sometimes people will create stuff just to say stuff. So we'll see, man. Um, moving on to the NBA, uh, former commissioner David Stern made headlines this past week. When he uh, was being interviewed, he said that he would like to see the NBA do away with their ban on players and the usage of marijuana. Uh, he said in states that is legal, he feels like it should be legal for players to, you know, engage in marijuana. So he's actually a proponent of lifting the ban of being tested for weed. Um, Ken, your thoughts on that, man? Uh should, should they still uh, – should they follow Stern's word and, and stop testing for the sticky or the icky?
1: I don't really have a strong opinion on this one way or the other. But I will say that um, I think that if they do stop testing for it and make it legal, then, yeah, this would be a, a, a means of keeping the man down, man. You know, you dope him up, and then they can't cause any trouble. Because they'd be too high to go out there and and, and protest and lock arms um, when when issues pop up or wearing I can't breathe shirts because, you know, it will be too high to fight for, you know, their fellow brothers in, in arms. So um nah, I, I don't think so, man. If they put a set of rule, rules around it, um, I can see it. Not impacting the game, but I think my concern would be that it would impact the game. Now, look, I'm not naive. I don't play with a lot of people that that uh, have been high and play basketball, and mm-hmm. <laughs> for some, you know, it didn't seem to slow them down and impact their game that much at all. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, you can have some functioning weird heads out there that can uh, still play the game, but. Um, nah, man, I, I think it's cool the way it is. I don't think it's that big of an issue for, for people to be out there really fighting for. So, you know, but again, I, I, I'm cool either way.
0: What about you, Q? Uh, marijuana, reefer, weed, <laughs> any, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the bomb, cush.
2: Uh, uh-huh. sh-
0: should it be legal in the NBA, man?
2: Yeah, man, this is so stupid. Like, uh, excuse my language. This is that's so ignorant that people think that this drug should be outlawed in, in sports. Look, man, Jr. Smith, I didn't see that man take a whole bottle of Hennessy the night before game and go out there and drop 30. The fact that people think that you just smoke weed and you just become this, like, zombie who can't function, is utterly ridiculous, man. Look, obviously, if I was a GM, I would in in NFL and uh, NBA, but specifically if we're talking about the NBA. Of course, I would legalize it. And I would let them uh, smoke, you know, on their on their off days. I don't think you should do it on the days that like you're playing. I think that's irresponsible. But the days that you're off, man, the high depending on what kind of strain you 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 smoking. There's really not a you know a high out there that lasts more than two three hours. You know, and that depends on if you just you know partake within one session of smoking. The same way that if you drink a lot of alcohol in one session, you that's gonna last way longer than you smoking a blunt, smoking a joint. So, yeah, man, like being a high impact athlete, a guy who's constantly jumping, constantly lifting weights, constantly training, those days off, man, you should be able to smoke a joint, man. Like if you like if you have Three days off and you want to roll up in Denver and get you, a you know, a, a nice little eighth or a nice little, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, like a nice little nug, as, as mm-hmm. the kids say, then I think you should be able to do that, man. I think regulated correctly. I think uh, parameters put on it correctly. I think I think it, it can work. I don't believe that athletes would really abuse it. And I'm putting a lot of faith in athletes, but I really do think that they wouldn't abuse it if you put reasonable parameters on being able to smoke weed. Because if you're smoking weed on a game day, you're already irresponsible in probably other facets of your life. But if they tell you that, yo, during the off season, it's all good. During, you know, Mm -hmm. um, after a back-to-back, it's all good. I don't see a problem with, with that. You know, it's just we need to start treating, you know, marijuana as if it's alcohol. And I'm not even a weed smoker myself. Although I've only, you know, done done the dirty cup like maybe like four times in my entire life. But every time that I have personally partaken in the activity, it's only been about two to three hours that I've been feeling the effects from the uh you know, from what I've smoked. The same way that if I drank, I feel that shit until the next morning depending on how much so we need to start be treating these people like adults and i do kind of feel strongly about this because there's so many people making money off of it and there's so many states legalizing it that athletes who train hard every single day that's a better alternative in my opinion and and the studies show that it's a better alternative to you know smoke a joint than it is to go and take you know some painkillers for your ACL that you're in recovery with or um, or if you just had a calf string, it's probably better for you to smoke that than it is to you know take X, Y, Z. That's just my two cents. I do think that they should allow. It. And I think David Stern is pretty uh, spot on that the starting out, it should be the teams that play within the states that have legalized. it. I think it's a smart move.
0: Yeah, then everybody would be trying to get traded to Denver.
2: <laughs> oh man. Everybody is trying to bring Seattle back.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to go to Seattle. I'm trying to go to Denver. I'm trying to, you know, play with these guys. Um man, I I I I found it interesting because obviously David Stern, you know, his his name and his legacy carries a lot of weight in the NBA. He was the guy, you know, commissioner. It was under his watch that the league was, you know, resurrected, if you will. And uh, you know, the NBA's current uh, Commissioner Adam Silver is a You know a pupil of David Stern if you will um, So I know While Adam Silver makes his own decisions If David Stern says something like this You know it does you know hold some Weight um, Honestly I could care less I, I've I said on this program before I've never smoked weed before uh, But I know a whole Lot of weed heads um, Friends with a whole lot of weed heads Play ball with a whole lot of weed heads In college Uh, so nah, I, I just, I never tried it. So I, you know, it's, it's no big deal to me. I will say this much. I know that players, the, the current NBA players, you know, they're tested, you know, randomly tested a couple of times a year. So, you know, they also know when they're going to get their last, they know that they're tested when they come to camp, they might be tested once again during the season. And then there's like, I think one other random test. And then after that, you know, like, so you could, you could get your last test let's say, I don't know, January 15th. And so after that, there's no more testing. There's no testing during the playoffs or anything like that. So, you know, it's not like, I mean, the players who smoke, they know when the tests are coming. So, I mean, think about it. When's the last time you heard about a player, you know, getting suspended for an NBA player, for that matter, getting suspended for weed? week? Um, you know, it, it doesn't happen. Uh, it, so I, my thing is, you know if they want to legalize it or make it like that where they're not testing for it cuz for a long time they didn't test for it um you know I, I don't have a problem with it i i think it's i think it's crazy if you think players aren't smoking weed right now and i think what we'll see going forward particularly if you can if they can tie marijuana the smoking of marijuana and as to pain relief, because one thing we don't know, we don't really realize is that, you know, a lot of these players, you know, not just football players, but basketball players as well. They deal with a lot of pain, you know, aching joints and stuff like that. And if, you know, smoking a joint can help, you know, relieve that pain, you know, maybe the NBA and other subsequent sports can, you know, be evading, you know, lawsuits down the road. So, I am all for it man. If you want to get high, get high, you know. And I, I think most players are responsible enough like you said Q not to to know not to get high, you know, <laughs> the night before. I mean, like 10 minutes before game 7 starts. Um or the night before a big game or something like that. So I again, I I I think we're crazy if we think players aren't smoking weed now. So and and that's and that's in every sport. I'm not even going to sit here and tell you cuz I don't I don't have it here in front of me, but I don't think hockey even even test for that. So if hockey doesn't test for it, I'm pretty sure they're smoking hot, smoking weed in, in um in, in hockey. I'm pretty sure they're getting hot. So, you know, take that how you want to take it. <laughs> All right, man, it's almost time for us to get out of here. Uh, but before we get out of here, man, we got a couple of uh, one guy uh, to go. One guy to go is a little game they play online. Uh, these ideas come not come from me. But a good friend of mine, my man Eclectic on Twitter, uh, you can follow him at Eclectic with a K, or you can follow him at One Gotta Go. Uh, So basically, we give you four choices. Uh, You pick the choice, and whatever choice you pick has to leave forever. Not not hard, just real simple. Um, So I got, let's see, I got two sports joints, and I got two hip-hop joints. Um... Let's see. Let's go hip-hop first. Ken. One Gotta Go. Rockefeller. Bad Boy. Death Row. Or No Limit. One Gotta Go. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: Bad Boy. Bad Boy. What? Um,
0: <laughs> what? You're getting rid of Puff? Take that, take that, take that.
1: Outside of Biggie and maybe that f- and that first Black Rob album. Oh, that Black Rob album so cold. I mean, what else is there?
0: <laughs> How dare you disrespect the great G. Depp.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shout out to G. Depp. <laughs> uh, Q, what about you? Man? Rockefeller, Bad Boy, Death Row, No Limit. One Gotta Go.
2: Man, <laughs> I, I, oh, damn, Carl, um, shit, bad boy.
0: I'm, I'm so disappointed in
2: y'all. The reason why I gotta say bad boy, man, is just because like no limit. Lim, I love Master P. I ain't, I ain't gonna lie to you. No limit soldiers, all, all that. It's crazy. Um. Death Row, you got so many Pac albums. Incredible. Rockefeller, you got Blueprint, Re- Reasonable Doubt, you know, the Seagull albums. Cameron had an album on there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just got yep. too many classics on Rockefeller. That, so that's going nowhere.
0: Don't forget about the Memphis Bleak albums.
2: I mean, that bad bleak album was What don't, don't don't even try to play Memphis Bleak. Don't try to play him first. I thing. love Bleak, man. Shout out to Bleak. That was a good album. Out- and Freeway album, too. I can't even...
0: <laughs> that so, first Freeway album so cool. Billy
2: Freezer, you know what I'm saying? So, Rockefeller going nowhere. So, the thing, Bad Boy, okay. Harlem World, alright. Cool. Classic, but G-Dep, fire, but <laughs> nah, man.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, I'm gonna be the contrarian on this one. Um, It's tough, man, but I gotta get rid of No Limit, man. Mm-hmm. And I love P. And P the the tank ran. Don't get it twisted. The late '90s, early 2000s, the tank ran the South, and then subsequently was the emergence of Southern hip hop. Um, so most Southern acts would not exist had there not been the run and the acceptance of the tank, because you know Master P had people in New York City bumping their music, bumping his his whole label's music, um. But yeah, I, outside of P, I really, P and True, I listened to, um, I had those albums, but outside of that, I, I can't, I mean like Kane and Abel and all the other other people on the label, I just didn't buy that album, Mystical's album, I put, but I, I didn't get me X's album, and you know, I, yeah, I get rid of No Limit, but that's tough though, all, all, all four great, great labels, great labels. All right, um, let's go to the NFL. Q, quarterbacks. Quarterbacks. One got to go. David Carr. Kirk Cousins. Jameis Winston. Marcus Mariota. One got to go.
2: Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm okay, going to okay. say Carr.
0: Okay, you ready to say Carr. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna <gasps> say Carr,
2: man. Yeah, Carr, Carr got to go. I, I think Jameis has the potential. I don't think Kirk Cousins is terrible, and I like Marcus Mariota's potential once they put some real actual wide receivers I around him. I
0: always love Mariota.
2: I love Mariota, man. I think that once you put some real talent around him, he'll be able to do something. But right now, your best wide receiver is Eric Decker. So it's like, ugh. Oh, my gosh.
0: Okay. Ken, what about you? David Carr, Kirk Cousins, Jameis Winston, or Marcus Mariota?
1: Oh, this is easy. Kirk Cousins all day. <laughs> Wow! Day. Yeah, yeah, same here. Same here. Already. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And <laughs> yeah, that was it. That's why I was like, I was trying to figure out why you were pausing because I'm like, is he really thinking about this week? Because for me, yeah, Kirk Cousins. I'm, you know, man, Kirk Cousins is okay. I'm just not. I'm not as high on Kirk Cousins as everybody else is, man. I'm just not. Man. I'm, and I'm interested to see what happens, you know, this year for him, and then you know, subsequently, you know, free agency next year. Uh, one thing I will say about Kirk Cousins, he might he might be a bum on the field, but he's a legend at the bank. That's for sure. Um, mm. Q, you, you'll appreciate this one. You, you're, you're a big man. You're 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, uh, okay. Let's go NBA. Power forwards. Carl <laughs> Malone. Tim Duncan. Charles Barkley. Kevin McHale. One got to go.
2: If I'm going just off skill alone.
0: You you can get him off however you want to do it based off of. But somebody got to go.
2: Tim Duncan's going nowhere. Okay. He's the GOAT. Footwork is incredible. Bank shot is iconic. Never Kevin was. McHale's going nowhere. Hook shot, iconic. Defense was good. Footwork was great. It's between Barkley and Carl Malone, man. Carl Malone never did it for me in terms of like just like that will to win and like just like that leadership aspect. He never did it for me, but he was consistent as hell. But then you just have Barkley, who was just a beast, man. Like, Barkley could do it all. Like, he was really like as fast as I don't know what for his size. I'm gonna say Carl Malone, man. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, 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 I'm gonna just say Carl Malone has to go, just because I think in terms of go-to moves, in terms of just the talent, I think Timmy's the most fundamentally sound. I think Barkley's the most talented of this entire list. I think Mikhail is the like the, the like the winner's winner of this list. Although Tim has five, you know. But when I think of, like, you know, that, like, dig deep type of guy, like Kevin McHale played with a a damn near one foot and went to a finals. So, Mm -hmm. like, dude, you know, it's respect. And just see Carl Malone, a consistent guy, but just never really did it for me as a player. But he's a Hall of Famer, obviously, one of of the best ever. And it's a hard decision, but I had to go Carl Malone.
0: Okay, okay. What about you, Ken?
1: Carl Malone. Yeah, it's it's not hard for me at all. Carl Malone. Uh simply off the fact that he let Jordan uh strip him in the post. <laughs> and uh He
0: didn't see him, Ken.
1: <laughs> hey man, when you it's Carl Malone. He, that man's strong as hell. That you shouldn't let that happen. So uh yeah, just off that alone, uh let's go ahead and get him up out of there.
0: Yeah, I I'm gonna have to make it a trifecta, man. I'm getting rid of Carl Malone too. Just on the strength of I never like Carl Malone. Um I agree with Q talent wise. Uh I mean Barkley's probably Pro- Barkley's probably the, the better all-around of the four but Kevin McHale's post moves were legendary. Um the chamber. I mean and the thing was like it, for those especially those who didn't see McHale in his prime it wasn't like McHale was a great jumper. He wasn't a great leaper at all. That pivot um, foot, man. Yeah, that pivot foot was was deadly. Um Malone obviously all-time scorer like You said Q Tim Duncan. I don't think I've ever seen Tim Duncan miss that bank shot ever. Um, and I still make the case that Tim Duncan is the greatest player in his generation
2: better over than Kobe. Kobe Bryant.
0: I, I can make a case that he's better than Kobe, but, but we'll do that for another podcast. I can make a you case put, better than, you'd
2: you than be right. Kobe, right?
0: <laughs> I can make a case. All right, last one. Um, MCs, MCs, let's take it to hip hop, MCs. Uh Q however you wanna slice it, whatever it, one of these MCs has to go.
2: Okay. Let's
0: take it out west. Ice Cube. Uh. Snoop Doggy Dog. Uh. Tupac Amaru Shakur. Kendrick Lamar Duckworth. One gotta go.
2: I'll go. Um, I'm about that. <laughs> nah. No. 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 Um, all right, I I gotta just do the way I did the last one. All right. First off, Tupac Shakur is going nowhere. It's a seven day theory, fantastic. All eyes on me, fantastic. Me me against the world, probably lyrically his best album. Um nice. classics like Brandon has got a baby, all that stuff. Iconic. Um I think Kendrick has earned the right to be in that Mount Rushmore for uh, West guys, just off of the strength of his his albums, I think he's only going to continue to get better. Uh, so it comes down to one guy for me because Ice Cube is going no damn where. Like Ice Cube's first four or five albums, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got you got songs like Black Korea, like which mm. is incredible. You got I mean, like oh my goodness. um, What's 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 the name of that song on, on The Predator where um he starts a song of Not Guilty, not guilty, that joint oh, That's gosh. my that's my it. joint. Wow. That's my joint. Um The Predator is a great album. <sighs> Snoop Dogg's first album is incredible, man. It's probably a top five of a debut album ever, with calls dropout Illmatic, right? Mm-hmm. But after that album for me, I don't have an album. From Snoop, where I'm like, yo, this right here, like, yeah, I have like a couple where I'm like, okay, this is a good song here and there, but Doggy Style started out at such a height, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then it only got worse from there for for me. Like, yes, you had like Rhythm and Gangsta, you know, the Blue Carpet Treatment, those are good albums, but once you put on What's My Name and Jenny Juice and Lottie Dottie, like like you do like you can't really go too much lower than that. And I feel like I feel like Snoop Dogg is, and I mean this in, in the best way possible, he's like rap's like greatest underachiever, man. Cause it's like once you start out at that, at that height and you keep going down, it's amazing to me how he was able to stay relevant just off off, off of his hits and not being able to deliver continuously classic albums. And I feel like all four of those other guys will, by the end of their career, have two or three. I think Ice Cube has four in a row, but that's just my personal opinion. I think mm-hmm. all the other guys, uh, Kendrick, Pop, Ice Cube, I think those guys have two or three classics. So Snoop got to go just off the fact that I think he only has one classic album.
0: Okay. 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 Didn't didn't expect that answer, but okay. Ken, what about you, man? Um, Let me read them again. Ice Cube, Snoop D O Double G, Tupac, and Kendrick Lamar. One gotta go.
1: Um uh yeah, I think I'm gonna go with Snoop Dogg too. Um simply off the strength of that first no, that first no limit
2: album. <laughs> Stop. That first No
0: Limit album was terrible. Was that the yeah. Dogfather? I, I think so. <laughs> no, it, it paid. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. no
2: that, that was, was a dog? That was that was the second Death Row. It was um, it pays the cost to be the boss, right? Oh, okay, okay. No, yeah, I, yeah, I thought yeah, it was the
0: Dogfather. Yeah. I can't, man.
2: Dogfather I don't know.
1: There was a collection of old Snoop songs. I think they had okay. that they put out. I bought that album. I was pissed.
0: Yeah, it, it fell a little short of expectations for me and and Calvin Brodus. Um, again, I'm gonna be the contrarian man. Um, first of all, Ice Cube, uh, Ice Cube is lyrically in like my top 15 MCs of all time, so Ice Cube is going nowhere. Uh, Snoop, and and just for those of you scoring at home, I did my one got to go based on lyricism. So, so Snoop, even though the dog followed was a misstep. Uh, that paid a cost to be the Q. to be honest I don't even think I ever I don't I'm pretty sure I didn't buy that album I might have listened to it like two or three times before I trashed the dub that I had um but yeah Snoop is 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 a legend I mean Snoop I am really surprised at how Snoop still is like this legendary status icon I mean he's got a TV show with Martha Stewart for, God, for God's sake um but yeah Snoop's going nowhere um Kendrick Lamar, man, I've said this before on, pre, on, on my podcast, being a 10-year fan of hip-hop, listening to hip-hop since the 80s, I think he is one of the few MCs that could have rapped in the 80s and the 90s, as well as where he's currently rapping right now, and, and, and would have held his own. Um, I have been more than impressed with just about everything he's put out. Uh, he has yet to disappoint me. And I think if he continues on this path, I think he will be on the Mount Rushmore. I think he will be in... I don't think he's worthy of anyone's top five right now, but I think he is well on his way. This guy is... He's a star, man. He's a star. Lyrically, you go back and listen to Overly Dedicated. You go back and listen to Section Eighty and you still pick up on stuff. I went back last week, just as a little side note, I went back last week and listened to Good Kid. I hadn't listened to Good Kid, Mad City in about a year and a half. And I found myself hearing things that I hadn't heard in the previous times that I listened to it. And that's what great music does. Um, Mm -hmm. um, To Pimple Butterfly is my favorite album. Damn, incredible album. Uh, So Kendra's not going anywhere. Tupac, I love Tupac. I think Tupac is the most iconic rapper ever. But Pop wasn't lyrical. So he got to get out of the paint. So I'm getting rid of the Pop. So that's the the only reason why I'm getting rid of Pop is because I don't think he was lyrical. I think he is a great rapper, but he wasn't lyrical. Um, but can't, uh, Q, you mentioned some of his albums. Uh, me Against the World is my favorite Tupac album. Um, that I was just talking about on Twitter today. The uh, All Eyes on Me I think if it was one CD, it might have been one of the greatest albums ever. Uh, That back half of the second album, mm, too many filler songs.
2: See, Um, I'm young, so I love that stuff.
0: (laughs) You know what, man? And and I know you love the Don Caluminati. And I went back and listened to that. Those, like, the first seven or eight songs, man, are so hard. But then he had a couple of joints on the back, and I'm like, damn it, pop. But I know he wasn't alive, so I don't know. I, I give Pac a mulligan on that because I think if he had been alive, there's a two or three songs that wouldn't have made that album, but I still yeah, love that
2: album. That, that me and my girlfriend, man. That oh, yeah. Drunk.
0: Which Jay-Z man. stole, by
2: the way. Oh, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> shout out to Jay. Uh, but nonetheless, man, yeah, Pac, I, I'm getting rid of Pac. So for those of you in the comment section, this is why I'm getting rid of Pac uh, for no other reason other than he wasn't lyrical. Um, <laughs> it is time to wrap up the show. Uh, we want to thank everybody for checking us out, tuning in as you do each and every week. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you download, subscribe, and share the content that we have on here. Uh, it's time for our final thoughts. Uh, Q, Europe. first. You got any uh, final thoughts?
2: I mean, my final thoughts is um, when trusting the process, it's very easy to get lost in the sauce. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that Sixers fans, we've been through this three years in a row, four years in a row. Uh, we've drafted somebody thinking that they're going to be ready, ready, ready to go, be this revelation for, for the city, be an incredible contributor to the team and start this amazing journey of their career. And uh, they end up getting hurt. Um, Joel Embiid, we knew he was going to be hurt. New as Noel, we knew we drafted him with the ACL tear, and we knew he was going to be out for the year. But in the drafting of Ben Simmons, J- Jalil Okafor, and now Markel Fultz, they did not complete their rookie seasons, and they did not play more than 60 games, spur Jalil Oka- Okafor's case. Um, and I'm going to take this time to wow. criticize the 76ers for their management of their players and their health situations. When it comes to Markel full shoulder and the reason why he's shooting like he's Herman Munster, um, <laughs> it's pretty saddening to look at how the Sixers have grown organizationally, but still fall into the same traps, still falling into the same old behaviors of non-transparency being completely, you know, opaque in terms of how they let the fans and let the media know what's going on with their players. So Markel's shoulder is messed up, and he had to put fluid into it. He had a cortisone shot put into his shoulder to loosen it up, to get the fluid out of it, and disperse the fluid and disperse the swelling. Because there was reports that said that he could not lift his shoulder mm-hmm. up. In Ben Simmons' case, he had a he had a freak accident that um, completely uh, kept him out from his rookie season. Jalil had a meniscus uh, issue. And all three of these, you know, and even in, in B's case, he kept on uh, having to get surgeries. And the information coming out about all these injuries was always very vague. It was always out indefinitely. We'll see where it is. We'll see where it goes. For For Ben Simmons, the organization – said it was going to be a, like a nine- to 12-week injury where he'd be back maybe by an all-star break. All-star break came. Not, nothing happened. For Jalil Okafor's case, his rookie season, when he went out, it was, they, they said it was a meniscus tear. He'll, he'll, he'll be back by the end of the season. He was not back by the end of the season. For Joel Embiid, when he was going through his uh, back surgery and his uh, foot surgeries, we were all like, what's going on with him? Not a lot of information coming out. So my target today of my criticism is the organization in terms of Colangelo and the team doctors. Seventy ers man, we got to step it up. And the window, for, the window of opportunity for us to win a championship has not even opened yet. But it's very possible that if we continue down this road of not taking care of our players, that it will never open. Um, it's starting out great. It looks like it's getting there with the uh, resurgence of Philadelphia sports and the resurgence of Sixers basketball starting with the helm of uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But stuff like this should not happen to your rookie number one pick. If you know that your rookie is not 100% well, I don't care what he says, don't play him. Because you have a history of of playing guys who are hurt or you, or you have a history of Drafting guys who are hurt and not playing them the entire season. So if Markel's shoulder was hurting before the preseason, why was he playing in preseason? It doesn't matter if the scans were negative. If he's saying his shoulder's sore, keep him out. That doesn't make sense to me to play him and risk what we're seeing right now. Out indefinitely. They said that about Ben Simmons. They said it about mm-hmm. DeLillo Okafor. O- 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 and we know that those guys did not play their entire season. So are we looking at another situation where a number one pick for Philadelphia does not play their entire rookie season? Is this what we do in Philadelphia now? We just draft guys to keep them out their their, their, their rookie seasons? And how do we stop this? We need better team doctors, and we need more organizational transparency. And if we don't get the transparency from our organization and we don't get better team doctors, then this window of opportunity that we so desperately want to come to Philadelphia will never open because we will never be able to keep our guys up. Right. You have to put talent on the floor for the window of opportunity to open. So for whoever's listening, if you're a fan, if you're just a fan of the game, keep an eye on what the 76ers do organizationally, because that's going to tell you everything you need to know within the next two years of, if we're serious about this rebuild, or if this is just more PR stunts, so Colangelo, our GM, stroke his ego. Trust in the process, but cautiously, is where we all should be at when it comes to drafting our number one picks in Philadelphia. And that's something that we should not have to do. We should be able to to celebrate our number one picks and have the confidence that the organization has their best interest in mind. But this is where we are right now in Philadelphia sports for the 76ers. So we're going to see. And hopefully it turns out well in our favor as fans.
0: True indeed, true indeed. What about you, Kent? Uh, final thought.
1: I feel like I jumped the gun a little bit. Um, I saw tonight while watching the game that the Astros have never won a World Series. I didn't know that. <laughs> And, Go ahead um, and tell the
0: truth. Go ahead and tell the truth add that the Dodgers up by two going into the, the uh, eighth inning. They <laughs> are. They are.
1: They're up 3-1. And um, and the reason why I'm saying this now, I don't know, we, you know, we're, on, we're closing the show. We don't know how this will end. Right. But um, it would be dope if the Astros actually won their first World Series, considering everything that happened in Houston this year. Um, I, I like when teams um, break these type of records. Like when Cleveland won their first. Um, you know, when Chicago won their first. Um you know, I, I like that sort of thing, man. So, you know, to while I picked the Dodgers because I just you know, they were rolling and and, you know, just being a I guess an analyst and trying to pick who's gonna win the series, um, yeah, I picked them, but if I would have known that the Astros hadn't won a World Series before, I probably would have Pick them in order to root for them, man. So, um, if the Dodgers do end up losing this World Series, I, I I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm okay with that, man, because I think it's dope. I think it would be dope if the Astros captured their first World Series. I think that would be really, really dope. So, um, but man, I, I also think that it would be dope if Kershaw finally got got his <laughs> ring too. So I'm I'm on both sides of the fence here, but I think the Dodgers have at least four or a serious title and magic Johnson on the team. So I mean the brother, so I don't know, man, but Dodgers up three, one. So we'll, we'll see what happens. If they close this out, we'll see what happens tomorrow.
0: True. Indeed, man. It It is looking like uh now again, by the time we, cl- <laughs> the way this world series has been going, anything can happen between now and the time we close out this podcast. Um, My final thought is going to uh, be on an announcement that was made uh, that really didn't make a lot of headlines, but it probably should have. About a week and a half ago, there was an announcement made by the University of Virginia. Um, the University of Virginia hired a new athletic director. And I know you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, well, why is that news? Uh, it is news because the new... Athletic director at the University of Virginia, her name is Carla Williams. She's the she was she was currently the uh, Georgia deputy athletic director at the at again the University of Georgia. Um, the cool part about it for me about this announcement of Carla Williams being named the AD at the University of Virginia is that she's a black woman. Um, not only is she a black woman, she's a 1989 graduate of the University of Georgia. While well, at the University of Georgia, she oversaw the Bulldogs football program. Um, the, she was the, I guess, the second lieutenant to the AD, um, Greg McGarity. Uh, she also had administrative responsibility for the women's basketball team, academic support, NCAA compliance, which is very key, uh, external and event operations, human resources, sports medicine, strength and conditioning, and business operations. Uh, according to the filings in the U- United States Department of Education, those businesses operated and entailed monies that totaled $123.8 million in revenue in the 2015-2016 academic year, plus $116.6 million in expenses. And she ran all of that. Uh, in a day where, you know, a lot of stuff makes headlines. I think this should have been the top headline. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't. It was just a blip on the radar, but to have a black woman uh, who is, if I'm not mistaken, she is only she is the only African-American woman of the 64 schools that compete in the Power Five conferences. She's only the fifth active athletic she, excuse me, she's only the fifth female athletic director uh, in the Power Five school. So Again, this is a big deal. And when we talk about equality, this is what equality looks like. And ironically, it comes at a place that has seen a lot of stuff here recently with the, you know, the, the Klansmen showing up in Charlottesville. This is a great story. Too bad it didn't make the headlines. So to Carla Williams, we salute you. Thanks again for checking out another edition of the Dead End Sports Podcast. For FIFO in his absence, for B's in his absence. Gotta thank the homie. Q to six man for feeling it. My boy Ken. Uh, I am your host, 12 Kyle. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace.